happy? You all look happy? It's good. I'm really happy. I'm just back after a, a well-deserved holiday. Honestly, it was really, really good. Um, who's been on holidays? A few? Who's still to go? Who's not going anywhere? All right, we'll pray for them, Lord. Bless them when they're here from some good sunshine. Why don't you turn around and say hello to somebody? We've got a couple of good visitors with us today. See, uh, Mike and Ashley's parents, uh, parents are over. Gail and uh, Janice are here. And also, uh, McBurney's are longtime friends. Mitch and Ruth are friends of ours for a long time. They're over from Canada. And if you're a visitor here as well, you're really, really welcome. If it's your first time or uh, you've been coming, it's really good to see you as well. All right. Yeah, if you're, uh, if you're here, just to, to mention something um, that uh, Ashley should have mentioned, but anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, I want to remind you that we've got a conference coming up in uh, four weeks' time, our King, Kingdom Come conference. All right, it's a pretty, pretty big thing. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been on the phone a fair bit um, with different folks. Um, many of you know we are affiliate members of what's called the Bethel Leaders Network, and uh, I'm involved with those guys, and we've been involved with Bethel now for about 12 years. I always say to people, uh, Bethel found us. I didn't find Bethel. And uh, a lot of stories over the years about Bethel and what they are, most of which 99.9% of it's just pure rubbish. Uh, but uh, we, we partner a lot with Bethel Church. We've got a lot of friends there. And uh, over the years, we've just had a lot of, a lot of really good relationship. And they've blessed us. And uh, they continue to bless us. And they're bringing a whole bunch of people over in a couple of weeks' time. But you may have noticed that Bill and Benny, who are the parents of that movement, and God has, has seen many miracles, many healings, and thousands and thousands of people have come to Jesus. But Benny passed away this week. Um, um, yeah, if you're, if you're on Instagram and you check out, Bill's shared some very personal uh, photographs, but we want to pray for them. It's had a bit of a, an impact on us because obviously a lot of the folks that are coming are, are very influential by what's going on over there. So uh, that's going to be a big couple of weeks for them over there. So I just want to pray for those guys, continue to pray for them. Um, Christine, especially Christine and Marco's coming. Christine and Benny were very, very close friends. And, uh, uh, you know, when a mummy of a house that you don't always see up front, but in the background, many of you know that the mothers of the house tend to be the, the matriarchs, the power, the prayer, the intercessors, and that's what Benny Johnson was. And uh, I had a privilege, she, first day I ever went to, to Bethel, she came walking down to me and prophesied to me and gave me a prophecy that left me in tears. And that's kind of just the nature of, of that church, which is why we've got relationships with them. And uh, there's a few crazy horses over there too, but you know, we'll, we'll make them space for that. But uh, uh, so we just, we pray for them. But I, I'm really excited about our kingdom come. I was on uh, Chuck Parry. Some of you won't know Chuck, but Chuck oversees uh, the healing rooms in, in Bethel. And in the last 14 years since he oversaw the healing rooms, he has recorded, documented medical evidence over 7,000 healings. And I mean, that's stunning. And uh, I've been praying for a long time that we would see that here. And uh, Chuck's bringing a team. There's a team coming with Chuck. There's, a whole, there's 35 Bethel uh, third-year students coming, uh, and they're arriving in, and we've got a, a, an Iris team coming in. There's just going to be a bunch of people that are going to come, and rather than us being the people that are always serving and doing things, which is what happens when we do our conference, these guys are going to minister to us. And there's going to be three and a half days of just ministry, of praying for healing. So if you've got a sick, sick granny, get her backed up into your car and bring her down. We're going to we're going to pray for it. We're going to take some time to do that. But uh, uh, I really encourage you to buy a ticket. The schedule will get released um, this week. And uh, so we'll know a little bit more about what's happening. Sorry that hasn't gone out just yet, but 
Uh, the tickets are on sale. Uh, if you check out kingdomcomeconference.com. Uh, if some of you have been at Open Skies, you'll know it's a little bit like that. Uh, though Open Skies will return next year uh, for those uh, that um, are, are interested in that. A couple of other things as well. I just want to let you know that um, uh, I'm a third-year Bethel school mentor. Uh, we had planned to start a school this September, but through a whole bunch of series of events and a lot of busyness and actually lack of space, uh, we're not actually able to, to start that this September, so we deferred that for another year. But we've got five students arriving in in August, and um, so we've got five uh, third-year students that are coming to work for the church, uh, mentor us. So there will be interns. There's four going to be here, and there's one going off to Downpatrick to help uh, Tucker uh, and those guys down there. Can you just pray for those guys? They've got their uh, iHeart uh, Downpatrick week this week. Many of you know we have another church in Downpatrick, and the guys down there are doing their outreach this week. Ours is the following week, and I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, set ourselves up a little bit this morning about, um, about that. But just as those guys come in, welcome them. I, I am putting a, a, an SOS out. Um, one of the things that, that happens in the kingdom for some reason is we tend to get a lot of girls. And, and uh, we get a lot of the girls come from Bethel. And I went over this time to try and find men, guys, you know, somebody that can lift boxes and, uh, and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, many, uh, that's the, men like that are hard to find these days. You know that, right? Okay. No, I'll leave that alone. Um, that's, a, that's a series that's gone, but I'll leave that one. But anyway, um, but I do have a guy coming from Austria. We've got an Australian coming, a German coming, an Austrian coming, and two Americans coming. So kind of a little bit more multinational. But I do need a bedroom for a lad who's coming from Austria. He's a really good fellow. Honestly, I've interviewed him. I don't think he's a mass murderer. I'll tell you in a couple of weeks' time. <laughs> but if you've got a spare room and you're up for it, we, we really need to find him a place because the four girls are, are living in a, a house together, and I need to find a room for him somewhere local. So just uh, if that's you and you feel the Lord's on that, we'd love to, to talk to you and come and put out that on. You'll never see him. He'll be working here morning and night, believe you me. So it's just a bed to sleep in, but uh, if you could uh, do that, that would be good. Anyway, um, I'm so glad you're here this morning. I've been mulling a couple of things over the last few weeks. Um, uh, as we go into two weeks of mission in Downpatrick and in Antrim, uh, one of the things that has always been on my heart that as an evangelist at heart, the whole reason why this church started was because I, I saw a whole bunch of young people who needed the Lord, and I had a passion and a heart to share Jesus with them, and often I would do that. They would come to the Lord, uh, but over the last 25, 30 years, church has really changed. What I've realized, you used to lead someone to Jesus, you'd give them a Bible, invite them to prayer meeting, and they kind of did okay. Now what you're realizing, if you get somebody coming into the kingdom from the community, they need about a year's life reclamation before you even hand them a Bible to help them into a prayer meeting. Uh, so there's a whole bunch of stuff now has to go before in the discipleship process. Um, I wish it was like the old days, but I need to tell you it's not, and you need to shimmy that off your mind. What's happening now is people are coming in, they've had broken marriages, broken family, they've had multiple children, Dear knows what all's going on in their life because the society and the world is so broken, you can't talk to them about their sin anymore. They don't understand or recognize sinfulness, but they understand brokenness. And they understand that the brokenness is where it's at. And as we go for the next couple of weeks, one of the whole ideas of starting this church was to equip the saints, that's you guys, for what acts of service, that we take what God's given us back into our community. Now, that's quite difficult if you're not that kind of person because historically, the church hasn't always got this right in the last 25, 30 years. If you've been uh, kind of coming around, have you ever noticed um, anything that's worthwhile or beautiful for the Lord is always uphill? Have you ever noticed that anything that's worth doing, anything that, nothing comes easy in the kingdom, it always seems like everything's the opposite. 
It's like we have to struggle or climb a hill to get anywhere. Things seem uphill. And, and I think it's a major problem in the world today that many people who, who understand something, if you can get this, if it's, if it, if it's worth it, it's going to cost you something. If, 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 something's, if you want to go to a nice restaurant, you will eat nice food, you will have to pay for it. It's worth it. And it's important that you understand anything that we do, it, it, it has a value and a worth. Um, John Maxwell wrote a book called Intentional Living. And in it, he says, everything that's worthwhile, always, always, everything is an uphill struggle. Many of you know what I'm talking about. And here's the problem with the church. Uh, our challenge is that everything we want, our uphill home hopes, our uphill dreams, our uphill passions, they're all uphill. And as humans, what do we want? We have this challenge that we have these uphill hopes, but we've got these downhill habits. We like the easy route, the path of least resistance. Uh, and there's a world today, to be honest with you, I can't figure out whether it's just lost or lazy. I, I can't figure it out. But we want everything on a plate. We, we want to do it easy. And, and I, I, I honestly, in the last few years, I've intentionally taught myself and put myself into struggle. Because you'll only ever grow when you're struggling. You'll only ever grow in struggle. Well, there's no growth without struggle. Now, in a church that believes in the goodness of God and the blessing of God, I, I don't want to move away. I, that's why I was so touched by Bill Johnson's post on Instagram last night. Um, for a church that's seen hundreds of healings, and we've all prayed, I was over in January, I prayed for Benny, um, to see her die and pass on and the reality of death in that family. Uh, and it's interesting to me because normally they would call for a raising of the dead and they didn't. And what was interesting as well to me is that, that God, in many times, we, we have to face the reality that we live in a world that needs a savior. We live in a world where death and destruction and hopelessness is rampantly running wild. And if you're sick or you're, you're illness, we, we have a hope today, and his name is Jesus. But the problem with that is we make the big things the big things, and we lose sight of who Jesus really is and what he's here to do. And, and actually, I've learned in life, it's like the Garden of Eden. The knowledge of good and evil isn't just the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, good and bad. It's also pain and pleasure. It's also hardness and fun. It's joy and, 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 and depression. The Garden of Eden is twofold. It's, what do we want? That we would know the mind of Christ. We're constantly trying to renew our mind that we would come in to understand the kingdom of heaven, that we'd leave that old stuff away, that old stuff that depletes us, that we're gone. But the truth is, we have both. Now, you've got you've to ask yourself the question this morning, which one masters you? Do we allow the old self, the old life, to be consistently pulling us away? Or do we allow the kingdom of God to live out? And actually, sometimes that's just a choice. There's no magical or spiritual thinking in that. That's just a decision you make. You know what? I used to do that, and I'm not going to do that anymore. And that comes down to individual. But actually, the problem is we, we, we don't want to be bothered. It's easier to do the easy things and difficult to do the hard things today. And we are creatures of comfort. We, we, the, the, and I think it's probably ruined the church a little bit over the past 25 years, the church has changed in its functionality than how it ever had been for the previous hundreds of years. Technology has changed the world and the church, and it's changed pretty much. And, and what happened was church moved from being this kind of, I go there, and even though it's boring and dry and dull, I will go because it's a discipline that I, I, I build into my life. 
And then what happened was sort of early 80s into the 90s, people stopped coming to church. And the church then kind of thought, right, well, we have to make it cool and modern and trendy. And they introduced lights and great technology and all of that stuff. And, and it became what's known as a seeker-sensitive church. How many of you have heard of that before, the seeker-sensitive church? Well, the problem is the seeker-sensitive church after 25 years hasn't worked. Do you know what it's done? It's made us all lazy. Because what happened was discipleship and leading people to the Lord became a rabbinical thing that you had to do. And when you're in a church, you went out and you took somebody on board and you discipled them. The, pr the problem was in the 90s, what happened was church became the place where you brought your friend along to get saved. We used to queue out for manifest. Many of you remember going to manifest, the Ulster Hall. We used to queue outside, and what you would do is you wouldn't share your faith. What you do is you'd invite your friend to manifest, and then you played like crazy that when the appeal came at the end, they would come forward and they would get saved. Uh, Hendy's not here this morning, but Hendy was saved probably about 25 times before he got saved. And, uh, you know, it's every appeal we would come forward. And, and, and you had this going on. And the problem was we lost the art of evangelism. It, it taught us the lazy approach. Bring a friend and the evangelist come leading to the Lord from the front. And what we did, we lost our, our skill set. We lost our, our ability. We, we lost the responsibility. We panned it off to the church and the evangelists. And we lost our skills and our ability to do evangelism really well. And evangelism is a big, scary word to, to most Christians. It was away on holidays. I'll read loads of articles. I love just scrolling through articles and reading them. I read an article that blew my mind. A survey five years ago, it's probably worse now, surveyed of, of 4,000 Christians in the UK church, 93% of them had never, ever shared their faith with another person. 93% of the church fessed up to that. I mean, I, I was appalled, gobsmacked, and incredibly disappointed. Now, I would say that if I ask this church to be honest, how many of you have ever shared your faith with another person in order to see them saved? I'll leave it away. There's, there's, the evangelist's hands are all straight up. <laughs> no bother with the evangelist. You see, the evangelists are no bother. They're all looking at you going, you bunch of lazy hellions sitting in there. <laughs> your keister's sitting there doing nothing. You know, do you not see there's a busload of people out there and they need saved and you're sitting in there singing your happy clappy songs? And the evangelists are frustrated with church. That's why they, they run off and they take them off because they, they lead people to Jesus, but they don't want to give them to the church because we mess them up. And what do we do? We sit in church and we wonder why we've lost the art and the skill. And we've panned off the responsibility to other people and we've become a people that let's invite them to church. I, 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 hear me, please invite people to church. I, I do believe church growth has to grow the right way. But the truth is, and it's a secret, most of our churches are growing today, not because of new converts, but people who are bored in a dry traditional church jumping ship. And, and actually, we've got to have a revelation today. We have to challenge ourselves to go, is this a mission of God to build a nice church, have a nice friendship group, and do the nice Christian things, and have everybody look like us, talk like us, and act like us? But I want to tell you a story today. That's not what Jesus asked us to do. And I want to tell you, if you're doing that, you're not a follower of Jesus. Oh, all you visitors, you're welcome today. You're not going to get an easy ride today because whenever I get the evangelism thing that comes up with me sometimes, it's a, hey, let's go. 
And, and we're going to go and we're going to see people. Here's the truth. We have spent 10 years, we're 10 years old this Christmas as a church. And I've spent 10 years trying to get a bunch of people. I used to think if I got them saved, we could take Antrim. 200 people, let's go, Lord, we're ready to go. What I realized, I got 201 problems. And I realized I had to spend a long time sorting out the 200 people to get them even remotely ready to go into the town and show people that they love the Lord because they didn't look anything different in the church than they did in the town. The problem with the church is we've gone to this secret sensitive place. And, and, and why? Well, because when people look at you, what do you hear from the community? They, they don't respect Christians anymore. They don't, they don't have honor for policemen or, or ministers anymore. You know, the old school, they, they, I was, we're at a wedding this week. We had our first wedding in here this week, Claire. Congratulations, Claire. I, I love it, Claire and I are a great couple. Anyway, Claire, Claire uh, became a, a, a Christian this year at Alpha Course, and she, she'd come along, and she, she heard our series here on, that I did on Eden Original Design and came to me and said, John, I'm kind of like living, and, and I've kind of got kids, but do you think I should be married? And I'm like, well... Probably would be a good idea, and she took it serious, and, the, and we had a great wedding here the other day. And uh, but uh, yeah, congratulations! Can I give her a big round of applause. It's good. But I've got a question for you this morning. How are we going to see the fifty-three percent of people who said they will never set foot in the church find the Lord? Let me say that again. How are we going to see? The, the 53% of people who have said, I will never darken the door of a church, how are we going to see them come to Jesus? Oh, I, I no idea. Well, let me help you. You see, here's the truth. People used to go back, I need a pastor to help me. I need a Christian. I'll go and talk to them. The, the world aren't thinking like that anymore, but we think they are. They're not. They are out there wandering aimlessly like lost sheep, wandering from one grass pasture to another grass pasture, looking for a little bit of somebody else's uneaten grass, hoping that it'll fill them a bit. While we're sitting in here with the answer to their problems, and what are we doing? We ain't going. We're sitting in our small groups with our nice Christian friends, eating nice Christian meals, talking to Christian people. You know why? It's easier. Let me tell you something, people in the world, dang it, they're hard work. And discipleship today, taking someone on who's, who, that, I don't want to be bothered with that. Have you seen their lives? They're taking drugs and having sex. <laughs> someone once said to me, you've got drug dealers at church? And I went, yes, I know. And they're like, should, should they be there? I'm like going, well, where else should they be? You have missed the mission of Jesus. And Jesus comes along and he challenges us. This isn't the way that it's meant to be. It's never meant to be. That church and Christianity isn't on people's radar. You know why? Because we're not evangelizing anymore. We, we invite a few, come to church with me on Sunday. Now, don't get me wrong, keep doing that. But if that's all you're doing, you've, you're not a follower of Jesus. I, I, don't, I don't know many times I need to say that to you. If you're not evangelizing and sharing your faith, you are not, not a follower of Jesus. If you're an inviter, you might think you're an evangelist, but you're not. Go hang out with Rodney. Walks down the riverbank. See him down there when we're fishing. 
We, me and Ethan and Andy and the boys, we were all catching fish. Hey, the, the river stuff of fish this year, it's a bumper year. My son caught a 10 pound fish yesterday, I know you've seen it. So he's worked hard for that one, I deserve it. But, but we're sitting in there and, and they call me John the Baptist down the river. And they come up and they talk, and, and now you're starting to come, John, can I talk to you about my depression? Sure, what do you want to talk about? Well, you know, and they have these conversations. And then you bump down, and Rodney's down at the wee picnic table down at the stand, and he's got 10 crazy heads around him. Half of them are hungover from the night before. And he's giving it, Jesus is this, and he's passionate, and he's going. And you know what? Outside of that, I haven't seen any of you down the lock with anybody else. I see you in the coffee shops with your Christian friends. You're the third day. Go to Margot May. Stuff with Christians. Having a nice wee fellowship together. Maybe sharing a wee bit of the Bible and what God did last night. Who's been convicted so far this morning? I'm only getting started. Let me tell you something. You're not good enough, fast enough, smart enough, big enough to get people to come to church. The 53% of people that said they aren't coming to church ain't coming to church. What are we gonna do about reaching them? How are we gonna do that? I, you see, here's the thing. The business world understands this. The business world gets it. If the business world fit, knew that 53% of something, they weren't getting their product, they would leave here and they would go because they knew there was a niche out there. I wish Christians loved souls the way the business community loves money. Because they understand that 53% not coming into their world is an untapped market that they would be passionate. They wouldn't even sit here, they'd be away. They'd be going putting websites together and, and, and figuring out how do I get this 53% of people into, into, to buy my product? And they're passionate about money. And we're not even close to being as passionate as they are about money as we are about the souls, the loss of the kingdom. And we've lost our ability to have a passion for the lost. And inside of me is this never-ending tap that God keeps going after all the time. What about the lost, John? I said, God, I'm trying to build an army. But the army don't know how to fire a gun. They don't know how to load a weapon. They don't know spiritual tools, how to lead people to Jesus anymore. They're too busy hiding behind the fortress of the walls going, those people are shooting at me out there and I don't want to go out to them. Help! I went out there for 10 minutes and I got my head shot at. So what do we do? Well, we come back into the fortress of the church and we hide. Safe in there with all our nice Christian friends. Singing Kumbaya getting dosed of the Holy Spirit and Shabba and land on the floor. I'm serious. Here, don't, I'm, I'm the best at Shabba, believe you me. I love it. I love the presence of Jesus. I love, but we get that to be filled that when we go into the world, they go, what the heck's different about you? It's not happened to me very often, but I love it when it does. When people come to you and go, are you a Christian? Like, how did you know that? Well, you just got a Christian feel about you. Now, I don't want it to be from the way I dress or the way I talk. You hear me? Because you can spot a Christian by the way they're dressed. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Just go back to Manifest. It'll tell you everything you need to know. But you spot a guy. I was out with Rachel a couple weeks ago, and there's a group came into McDonald's, and I'm like, you fellowship. <laughs> and, and they came in, and you're like, if you don't have some ugly people in your life, some broken people in your life, 
some damaged people in your life, some non-saved friends, you're not a follower of Jesus. Yes, I think that deserves a, a clap. But all you that aren't clapping, you're getting a squeaky bum sermon today, aren't you? Because hopefully it should be challenging. I, I'm going to run out of time. I don't keep going to this. I was saying the business world understand this untapped market. And, and as a church, we're called, we, we're called to go to our community, which is why we do the things that we do. We love the use of this building being used where we can invite people to come along and develop relationship. But you've got to earn the right. You can't just start evangelizing to someone. Who's trying to start just evangelizing someone? It goes south very quickly in Northern Ireland. They just roll their eyes and it goes south. It's like, I, I, I love evangelists that just know how to, I mean, these guys that can walk up and they just start, hey, do you know God loves you? Really, does he? I'm like going, I never get that response. <laughs> I go, God loves you and go, are you a lunatic? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? No, so so we go, we've lost the art of doing that. And yet when you hang out with evangelists and I know some of them, they just walk up and go, hey, you know what? God loves you. And the next thing, the person gets something deep inside them and they go, don't know that. And they start having a conversation. And before you know it, and, and can I tell you, the evangelists in the church, they're almost non-existent. And, and they've lost, why? Because we've lost the heart. You, you learn the grace of an evangelist by sitting under an evangelist. But if we don't have any evangelists, we, we won't learn evangelism. You see, you love the prophetic. We've got good prophet people about here. What do you do? Well, you come and sit under the prophets and you learn how to do the prophecy. But if we don't have evangelists, the art of evangelism will start to disappear. And God's calling us back to that. Listen, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. Someone accused me of not preaching on hell uh, a while ago. I'm like, yeah, uh, there's a reason for that. Because when you tell people that they're going to hell these days, they look at you like there's a screw loose. I used to tell people 25 years ago they're going to hell and they, they understood that. You tell someone they're going to hell today, they want to slap you. But listen to me, there's a hell to be shunned and a heaven to gain. And our friends and family that are lost are going to hell. And what are we doing? We're sitting here singing Kumbaya. And the truth is, the truth is, most of us, we give it a thought. We like the idea of it. We rely on people like Rodney to be the evangelists. And then we forget about it. You're not a follower of Jesus today. That's the way that you think. Jacob lost his son, Joseph, to the hands of his brothers. <laughs> Jacob didn't get up and suddenly go, I know what I'll do. I'll be all right. We'll do all right with four. You know, 20% of his family's now lost down a hole and, and he's gone. Jacob didn't suddenly get up and go, ah, it'll be okay. We'll just leave 20% of our family alone and, and we'll do with other four. No, he went out to look for his son. And, and we can't do without people that's supposed to. And we've dumbed down evangelism, folks, and we've made it easy. And, and, and the day that we have to give an account for the glory within us is, is it because we've invited people to church, but we've given up on discipleship. Someone said to me the other day in our council room, I don't counsel people, we disciple people in the council room. We help them deal with their stuff. But the truth is, in our counseling room, it's discipleship. It's helping them move from A to B. It's that, it's that they help deal with their stuff. Why? It's so that we can graduate them out of that room and go, on you go, now get on with it. You're meant, you're meant to be healed, restored, and delivered. 
So that what? That you can go to the world and you look different to the world than what the world looks like. And God's calling us to do that. But we've taught people evangelism. What we've taught them is all downhill. Evangelism takes time, effort, and training. And in September, we're going to start, we're going to start some training. One of the things I always want to do is start to put a team out there. The problem is if we put a team out there that are a bunch of rescuers because their own hearts aren't restored, we will only attract people like us and we won't get anywhere. We need to go down there with people who know who they are in Christ, that when they walk in, you can prophesy to a person, you can pray for them, and that the world won't rob you. Do you know many people that we sent out to the world, and they say, I'm strong enough and good enough, and I won't crash in the world, and they go back to the world, and guess what happens after six months? The world grabs them. Why? Because they haven't dealt with their own heart. And God's calling us to deal with our stuff. And, and, and we've made it, we, we've, we've allowed people for 25 years, we've took the easy low fruit, just catch them when they fall into the church or the kingdom. And, and we must do something. This must be wrecking the heart of God. And until God touches our heart with a passion for the lost again, he, he must just be sitting up there going, my church isn't doing what I've asked it to do. When are they going to have a revelation of this? And God's called us to reach the lost. And Paul gave us an instruction. Dang it. Paul's given us instruction. If you're taking notes, please, hopefully it'll come up on the screen. But 1 Corinthians 9, 19 to 23, he writes this. I'm going to read this from the message because the message makes this this. This is the one that if you read in the NIV, Paul says, I became all things to all people. But what I love about the message, it just gives you a little bit more insight and a little bit more detail. Even though I'm free of the demands and the expectations of everyone. I have voluntarily became a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on any of their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. He he went into the world. He didn't let all of the corruption affect him. He, He knew who he was in Christ. He understood, and he didn't let that affect him. And too much of the world is going, oh, I don't want to go into that world. It's a real nice place to visit, but I don't want to go and live there. And, 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 and Paul says, no, no, we must go and live in there. And, and he said, but, but you've got to know who you are first before you can go into that. And, but I entered the world and I tried to experience things, listen to what he says, from their point of view. I tried to, I tried to see it from the way that they would see it. And what do we do? We want them to see it the way that we see it. You need to see it from... That form of evangelism doesn't work anymore. We've got to look at it from a different light. And God has pushed this for us. And he said, I've entered their world, experienced things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into God's saved life. He became a servant in every shape and form, serving that community, no matter what it took. He became all things to all people for the sake of of what, this is what it says, I did this all because of the message. The message is Jesus. He did it because of the gospel. And he became all things in the community. And he didn't just walk the talk. He wanted to be in it. And Paul intentionally follows that. Let me give you six quick things to help you figure this out. The first thing we have to be intentional about is we have to start valuing the lost people. We have to start adding value to people's lives. Paul didn't find ways. Listen, he found ways to serve people. Can I tell you about what I call the the, the 101 principle? You see, the 101 principle is an interesting one because um, (laughs) what we do is we we spend spend 100% of time looking at the 1% of their problems. 
When God says, no, 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 spend 100% of the time looking at the 1% of the good thing that you do connect on. When you speak to someone who's not saved, don't tell them what they're not. The church has told the planet what they're not for far too long. Why don't you start telling them what they are? Oh, you're a sinner. See that stuff? No, stop. Lose that. Find the 1% that adds value. That world are desperate for value. Now, there's another part of this is that they're so orphan-hearted that when they hear nice things about themselves, it feeds something in them. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like we say nice things to nice people and because they've never heard it before, then they come to church because nice people told them nice things. That, that also creates a problem. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Because if they become addicted to your encouragement, the moment you stop encouraging with words, guess what happens? Ooh. They come to church for mummies, daddies, and friends who will value them, not because they've had a life transformed with Jesus. See what I'm saying? So we have to be really careful what we give to people. We want to add value to them, but we want to add kingdom value, not something in that. And also we've got to check our own heart because there's something about showing off the lost. Evangelists love showing off the lost. I've seen it all the time. Oh, led 500 people to Jesus last night. Look at me. I'm, I'm the boy. Do, do you see what I'm saying? We, we can't be fed by that either. And God's called us to, what we got to do? Love. And it's introduced them to the Holy Spirit. And guess whose job it is to convict them of their sin? Let, let me be really clear. It is not your job to tell the world their sin. Now, some people will look at me and go, oh, I'm not sure about that, John. Because if we don't go and tell them who will, well, that's why we introduce them to a friend of ours. He's called the Holy Spirit. And I have watched people encounter the Holy Spirit, and I've watched the conviction of the Holy Spirit hit someone like that in their heart. And it's the God in them that convicts them of their sin. What's our job to do? Hey, I'm just going to be your brother. I'm going to love you, and I'm going to accept you the way you are. Now, if you come to church and you profess faith, you change the goalposts. That's when you allow people like me and the elders and the leaders in our church to come along and correct you. Do you understand the difference? Because when you're in here, you need correction. That's what the Bible says. A Christian knows correction. And healthy correction is good. But what you'll find in here, you'll never get hung over hell. You'll never get beat up. You'll never be put under the bus. And we deal with sin in the background. You'll never hear it because we deal with it in the background. And if someone falls or has a moral failure, we deal with it in the background. And we help them back into loving restoration. But it's not my job to convict them, it's the Holy Spirit and it's not yours. And God's called us to have this value into people. How, how you see, can I say something? God loves people you don't like. Let, let me say this, God loves Sinn Féin. He loves the DUP just as much. But sometimes we're more vocal about our political affiliations and what we believe on the 12th or the 15th of August than we ever are about Christ. This is my culture. I want to show everybody my culture. My culture is Jesus. He says, have nothing else before me, but no other God before me. Well, that's my religious freedoms. Yes, you're right. It's all about religion and nothing to do with Jesus. If I offended you this morning, you're welcome. People 
never argue with Jesus. I've never met anybody that argues with Jesus. Even atheists. Ah, Jesus was a good man. They never argue. I speak to people about Jesus. They soften their voices. You start talking about Jesus, he has this illuminating effect on people. The second thing we have to be is intentional at including people. Paul says, I volunteer to become a servant to all and any to teach a wide range of people, religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralists, loose living immoralists, the defeatist, the demoralist, whoever. Paul chose to go with all people. If you don't have a bunch of immoral people in your life, you're not a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. You have to be ready to go with the immoral people. If your heart and your soul isn't set on Jesus, you will compromise. And the loose living will soon suck you into it. Because let me tell you something, you'll be dirtier than a white, you know, if you're a white glove made restored by Christ, and you get down into that world, trust me, you're going to get yourself dirty very quickly. But if you don't know that you're white underneath it all, because of what Jesus has done, you'll never make it in that world. And you will die. And you can't compromise. Because you have to choose the Bible and the Scripture as the way that you live your life. And guess what the world doesn't want to know? The world doesn't know much about what the, what the Scriptures have to say. Ah, it's outdated. That went out with a dinosaur boogie. And yet, how do we reach a people that are like that? Well, we add value to them and we be intentional. We've got to get in and include them. For God so loved the world that He what? That He gave everything. He gave His only Son. We have to give sometimes in order to get... God loves me. Say, say this, God loves me. Now look at your neighbor and say, God loves you too. Now say this, God loves the people I don't know. And say this one, God even loves the people I don't like. And here's the problem. There's this whole bunch of people as Christians we don't like. And we go through the Gospels and we turn the page and, and Jesus liked everybody and he valued everybody. But what do we do? We pick and choose who we want to, who we want to chat to. You know, it's, kind of, it's just funny. You, you're, you know, you want to be more like Jesus? Have a greater desire to connect with lost people. And also when you connect with them, don't correct them. Seriously, stop correcting people. Stop correcting in the world, they don't know. Never been corrected in their lives. What do you do? You come along and go, oh, shouldn't live like that. That's not good for you. No, it may be true. That's <laughs> not the way to win them. What do you do? Hey, let me take you out fishing. You want to come out fishing? Well, me and Ethan will take you out. Would you really? Why? Come on, let's go. And they'll not have a clue how to catch a fish, but we'll show them how to fly fish. Wrapping flies around their ears and around their lugs and in the trees and in the weeds. And that's just Ethan. And uh, <laughs> taught by the best, aren't they? How, how to get a fly out of the weeds. That's, that's the best trick. But, but you, and, you, and after a while, do you know the lessons that you can teach someone about fly fishing that's so kingdom related? Ah, I'll make you fishers of men. Why? Well, because I've got these skills that we can do. Um, my wife, and thankfully you guys clubbed up, you know, I, I was saying that statement for weeks about, about being a cult leader and t-shirt, and everybody bought me t-shirts. <laughs> Little did I know you were saving up to, to help my wife, who saved up for six years, buy me a speedboat. I got that boat. Do you know why I want to get that boat? Because I want to take the men out to Rams Island. and so I want to take people from our community out in that boat, skiing and having a laugh with them and getting them wet and taking them out fishing and taking them out to Rams Island. Why? So I can share Jesus with them. 
I wasn't sad that I lost the speedboat because of the fun, though that's important. I was sad I lost the speedboat because it was one of the most effective evangelism tools that I led loads of kids to Jesus when I had it years ago. That was my heart for a boat, and that's why Rachel understood it. Because when you have got resources and investment that people don't have, who, who doesn't want to go to Rams Island on a speedboat? You know what I'm saying? And what do you do? Well, you take somebody that's left and you bring them in and you, you add value to them. I'm so far out of time. Listen, you, 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 we spend most of our time on the 100% thing. We find the 1% that we disagree with them and we, we, we give it 100% of our effort. You hear what I said? We find, we find 100% of the time trying to find the thing we disagree with. Find the 1% that you do agree on and give it 100% of your effort. And that's, that's what we've got uh, to work to. And listen, we've got we to gotta hear, folks. We've we, we got to keep moving. Number three, be intentional about knowing who you are in Christ. Paul said, I didn't take up their ways. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. Can, that's why it's important that your own heart's right. I have, unfortunately, sent people to the world as evangelists and Christians. And they didn't make it. They didn't know who they were. Their own heart wasn't restored in Christ. They hadn't dealt with their history. They hadn't had their life reclamation that God had started in the process. They didn't know how to be a disciple of Jesus. And when they went to the world, the world gobbled them up. You cannot go to the world until you get your own life sorted. But Paul says here, I know who I am in Christ. The world won't compromise my conviction because in here, I'm healed, restored, and delivered, and I'm solid, and I'm a disciple of Christ, and I stand firm, and I know who I am. Can you say that today, honestly? Can you hand on heart go, I, I'm ready. I can do this. Now, if you're not, I, for the last 10 years, have been wasting my time. Because what we've done in adding what we've added to this church is to help you get to that place where you know who you are in Christ. Why? Because a healthy disciple, some people don't love themselves. I have, there's an epidemic of self-love that's all upside down. We self-love when we put these fake pictures on Instagram. And yet when we look in the mirror, we hate what we see. There's an epidemic in the culture today of people who don't know how to love themselves. And Jesus said, how can you love your neighbor, your oikos, unless you learn how to first love yourself? Love your neighbor as yourself. You know how to love yourself. You will never be able to love your neighbor. That's why you have to deal with this. You have to get into your heart, your soul, and deal with the stuff. And if you, if you haven't dealt with that and you're still struggling with that, please come and see one of our amazing counselors. And remember, it's not counseling you're coming to. It's discipleship. Because they will kick your butt. They will, in other words, rip you a new one, as, it, as it, the saying goes. And if you come and see me, you'll get the wrecking ball. You know what I love about the people who love the wrecking ball? They come in and go, right, John, wreck me. I can do more with that because they come in and they go, help me get my heart right. Help me deal with the crap that, that's holding me down. The sin that so easily entangles me. Why? Because I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to be able to share my faith. I want to look different to the world than what they look at me. And, and, and we've got this discerned problem. And Jesus is the only one that can fix the problem. We can have these skills our counseling skills, our discipleship skills, our evangelism skills, our worship skills to help people encounter Jesus. But I do not have the skills to transform your heart and give you eternal life. Only one person can do that. His name is Jesus. 
And my job is to show you him. And I hope to goodness I spend most of my life convincing people of the reality of Jesus Christ and that how they need him as the Lord and Savior. And Jesus is the answer to this. To truly find out what you're emerging yourself in, you need to emerge yourself in a lost culture. Paul did it. Jesus did it. Jesus didn't hang around with the religious folks. He gave them the hardest time. Who was he with? He was with the drug dealers and the prostitutes and the, the tax collectors and the thieves, the robbers, and, the, and, and the, the headbangers. Who lives with headbangers, thieves, and robbers? And that's just your husbands and wives. If you don't have a few of them in your life, first of all, you're missing out. But again, I'll say this. You're not a follower of Jesus. Ouch. When was the last time you crossed over? What do I mean when I say that? Come on back, worship band. When was the last time you crossed over? And I'm not talking about transgender here, okay? It's not what I'm talking about. If you, if you want to know more about that, what we think about that, I taught that back in February. Crossing from the Christian bubble that has kept us protected into the frontline world that's called Antrim. I tell you, it's a rough place down there, full of headbends. You know what I love? I love it when those headbands come through this door. Not because they've walked into the church, but because Rodney, who's a stream of people sitting beside him every Sunday morning, who's out on a Thursday night, Friday night, sharing his testimony and, and, and leading me and, and helping them. I love it when, when, when you see hearts restored, like Claire, who's like, I think marriage is probably a good God idea, so I should probably do that. Why? Because we're moving into discipleship and putting what's right in the kingdom of God when it was, when it was wrong. I want to I wanna do this. And I want to say this. You don't feel like you can cross over because you're a hypocrite or because of your own failure. You need to deal with that. Can I say some of you who are divorcees, drug dealers, got a history. Hey, I have a history too. <laughs> People keep telling me about my fake history. You ever got that? people tell me this week things I did that I never knew I did. You know, oh, John Ashey did that. I'm like, I don't remember doing that, but okay. Um, why? Well, because when you cross over, they'll start talking about you. They'll start telling you lies. They'll come at you. They'll start shooting at you. They'll stab you in their back. They'll betray you. They'll hurt you. They'll beat you. They'll flog you. They'll throw stones at you. They'll call you names. They'll stick spears in your side. They might even hang you on a cross and put nails in your hand. They might beat you up and say bad things about you consistently. What do you want to do? I'll run behind the walls again. But when you cross over into the world, you've got to be ready. That's why we've got a shield and a sword and some armor that when we go in there, we know exactly how to deal with the world. We have lost the art of dealing with the world. We have and we've got to relearn the art of the heart of the mission of God, evangelism. How can I share my faith with someone who's broken and lost? And can I tell you something? It's not just the headbangers. The business people, the rich people, the people with plenty of money are almost as broken, if not worse, because they've got the creature comforts that hide the brokenness. When was the last time you shared your faith with anybody? When was the last time you sat down with someone who's lost and broken and went, hey, I have got a king that changed my life. And I know that you are lost. 
and I see it in your face and I listen to your story and I see your broken marriage and I see your kids screwed up and I see the disappointment every morning when you come into work. And rather than just putting a wound on it and tapping you in the back and dressing it up and saying, there, 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 you'll be okay. And being pastors, because we're fantastic at that. You know what? You don't need to stay like this. I can show you someone who will change your life forever. Who is he? He's Jesus. Oh, don't be giving me that religious nonsense. No, no, I'm serious. Because can I tell you, 36 years ago, honestly, I heard about Jesus for the first time. I heard about Jesus my whole life. But when I was 14, I heard about him for the first time. I, I, uh, I met the person this week who's a missionary in the Philippines who was the first person, I'm going to say in the evangelical world, to talk to me about Jesus. We actually rent their house. Josh and Mara live in it. And uh, Aaron McMahon, she's a missionary in the Philippines, Aaron came around to sign a new lease agreement. And he says, Aaron, I just remembered something. I said, at 14, I went away with First Antrim Youth Club and we had a youth fellowship weekend. And we're in Run Kerry House. It's on, uh, up at Ballantoy. It used to be a, a youth hostel. Now it's very posh apartments. And I says, you sat in a windowsill with me and you shared Jesus. She says, John, I remember the weekend, but I don't remember talking to you. I says, Aaron, you know that started this journey. And she says, what? I says, you were the first person to really, really talk to me about the fact that I needed a savior. And she says, Really? I says, yeah, you know what's funny? All those leaders that were there that weekend, they don't even follow Jesus anymore. And she says, yeah, I know. We did a really bad job of discipleship. I says, Aaron, probably in my Christian life, I'm sure I've led the best part of six to 7,000 people to Jesus. I feel you guys did a good job. I never knew that story, John. I says, because someone like you sat and told me about Jesus off the cuff. It was awkward as get out. I was a wee hiding. I'm not much changed, but I'm a bit changed. <laughs> and God said that day, and I remember, and two years later, I gave my life to Jesus at a New Year's Eve party. And I got encountered the Father in a way I'd never encountered him before. And I knew who he was. I said, Aaron, people are in the kingdom because of the, the conversation you gave that day. I've had a ton of stories like that I could tell you, but I'm out of time. But I'll say this. If you don't know Jesus today, he is a king who died for you. And he is worth getting to know. And today, I hope I have rattled your cage enough to make you realize that our mission and our call isn't just to do this church. It's to go into the world and reach the lost. And when we're out next week gathering rubbish out of the housing estates, and the wee women come out to talk to you and make you a cup of tea and chat away to you. That somewhere you say, here's why we're doing it. Because we love the Lord and we love you and we love your estate. Every time we go to Greystone, it's miraculous what goes on in here. It really is. I think it's because people like these three's mummies been in that place for years serving the Lord and praying for it. But every time we go in there, God just does these amazing miracles. Don't get me wrong, we've carried people home drunk. Needles hanging out of their arm. But when we go into that place, it's funny. I love those folks. And yet, us and our Christian cliches, we don't know what to do with some of those folks. Oh, I'm not, that's, that's a drunk man lying on the corner. I don't know what to do with him. If you drive past a drunk man, you miss an opportunity to share your faith. But if you drive past a person that you sit in the lunchroom every day at your work, 
food share faith. Sometimes it's easier to pick a drunk man up from the side of the road than it is to share your faith in your life. You don't know the Lord today. Please get to know him. But also this, if your heart isn't right, and you know you're not ready to disciple, or you don't love yourself enough because you're so convicted with the guilt and shame of your past that you don't feel you can do that anymore, then you've got a king who will fix that in a moment if you step into that. And God's calling us to be the witness to the light. You're meant to be the light. You ever seen your faces sometime? We're meant to be salt. We're meant to be the season that adds flavor. Who are you adding flavor to? Anyway, let's stand. Preaching's changing. I, I want to preach for three hours these days, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't like it. I, I watched a video clip and a debate about Shona. Might show it. This guy was sharing in China and how he'd been a missionary and gone out to China. And he'd been sitting on the floor of a room, it was 43 degrees, he was sitting on the floor of a room where Chinese pastors from the house church movement had come to see this guy. They're sitting around a room and he was sharing their story. And... Uh, he had 15 Bibles, there was 22 pastors in the room, and he gave them out the Bibles. And he noticed just before they began to pray that one of the women gave a Bible to somebody else. And he began to read the Bible, and she was regurgitating word for word in English what he was reading. And he realized that she didn't need the Bible because she had memorized it. And he was sharing this story of this group of pastors. He said, I said you know, all these people have been in prison. So he asked the question, he says, he says many of you have been in prison. He says, 18 out of the 22 put their hands up and said, And he asked the woman, he says, have you memorized the Bible? She, she says, yeah. Where'd you do that? In prison. And she, he, says, he, says, he says, you learned the whole Bible? He says, yeah, we give the Bibles away because we memorize them. Why? Because they take the Bibles off us. He said, but they take the Bibles off, we rip them down to a piece of paper. He says, and then they take the piece of paper off. She says, but we memorize them quickly before they can take the piece of paper off us so that we, because they can't take what's in our heart all away from us. And he began to share the story. He said, and then he said, but we pray that we would be like you because you can meet anytime and you're free. And he says, I don't want you ever to pray for me like that. I will never pray that prayer that you're like me. He says, you see, you've, you've spent 13 hours coming here. You've sat for three days on a floor in 43 degree heat, listen to one man share your faith. Your families and friends are in prison. You've been in prison. And yet you you learn the Bible and you read it. You know, in homes in the UK, there's probably three Bibles per home. He says, they're not reading their Bibles, but you're memorizing them in prison. He says, I will never pray that you're like us, but I will pray that I'm like you. And my job this morning is to remind you that there's a lost world that needs you to be Jesus. And if I can get anything across this morning, would you come and join us in the next two weeks Help us be Jesus to our community. And just don't come and pick up litter. Come with a heart to go, I'm going to find somebody and I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. And this week, when you go back to work tomorrow, you find someone. I'm going to share Jesus with you. Why? Because I have a conviction that Jesus is worth sharing. You know, you get opportunities. I, I love St Stefan and, 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 and Rebecca. They tattoo people all the time. How cool is that? Getting to stick needles in people. I mean, it's like hairdressers. What an opportunity to share faith. 
where take the opportunity they'll jump out at you Father, I pray today for an army of people who will know you, love you, get passionate about you, and Lord, begin to share your faith. Today, Jesus, I pray for a lease and a wave of evangelism that thousands would come to know you because of what these people have heard here today, God. Father, light a fire in their belly, a passion in their soul. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm conscious that the kids are upstairs, so we're not gonna we're not gonna do our last song, but we are or I'm gonna close up the service today. We've got a prayer ministry team here, I'm gonna invite them up. If you want prayer for anything today, the guys will come and pray for you. Other than that, you have a good Sunday. If you want to go to Down Patrick and help those guys out this week, if you've got a spare night or two, go down there, help those guys, they're our brothers, sisters in our church. And then the following week we'll also be here to do a lot of that, but we'll let you know all of that. And go and buy your kingdom conference tickets. Uh, that would really helpful, be helpful right now if you're planning to do that. Other than that, have a good Sunday. It's going to be a warm one tomorrow. It's at 29 degrees and the sun's shining, so go and enjoy it and have fun. See you all soon. Thanks, guys.